I was honored and privileged to be the first guest on Mike Evans' new podcast series called The Exchange. This podcast series is going to help financial advisors better understand both McKenzie products as well as some of the services that we have to offer. The first episode, which you're about to hear, was Mike and I having a conversation about an event that he hosted with Todd Matina, our chief economist, and Dustin Reed, our chief fixed income macro strategist. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Mike Evans. Mike is VP National Sales Initiative. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Matt, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, Mike, why don't, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, and, uh, and why we have you on the podcast today? Well, I'm, I'm really excited to be part of your podcast and also to be part of the, the natural evolution of podcast content at McKenzie. So we're, we're introducing a, a new show, a new podcast called The Exchange. It's going to be hosted by me, and it's dedicated to deepening advisor understanding of critical issues related to our products and the managers that run them. Sounds intriguing. Tell me, tell me more. What, what uh, specifically are you going to be looking into? What, what kind of content can listeners expect? That type of thing. Okay, so, so here's, uh, here's the elevator pitch, for, for lack of a better phrase. Do uh, you know how the, the typical fund-related documents, the prospectus or the fund facts or even the marketing materials, I find often fall short in describing the true essence and character of what uh, our investment products are and the, and the people that run them. Our hope with the exchange is to have a, a variety of in-depth conversation with a, with a host of connected people at McKenzie, whether it's PMs or snippets of, of conversations from PM uh, broadcasts that I've done, and some of the behind the scenes individuals that really understand the inner workings of these products so that we can create a, a, a sense of connection. You know, if, if folks are really into mutual funds, ETFs, managed solutions, alternative products like you and I are, they're in the right sure. place. If, uh, if they're not, great. They're also in the right place to learn a little more about personal finance and the products and people that, uh, that run the things that we think are so important. That sounds that sounds great, Mike. And and uh, I've been uh, delighted that you've asked me to participate in the very first uh, kickoff episode. Why don't you uh, let us know what we're what we're uh, going to be talking about today? Yeah, this is uh, is a, is a great kickoff to the year. Um, so I recorded a um, an Outlook and Insights webcast with our chief economist Todd Matina and Dustin Reed, our chief incomes fixed income strategist, uh, a while back, and you and I are going to have a conversation around some of the important issues they explore on, uh, you know, in their, in their outlook for 2021. Great. Uh, Mike, I had a chance to, to listen to that call as well. I got to tell you, Todd and Dustin are just uh, top notch thinkers. Uh, we're so lucky to have them at McKenzie. Um, and I think you did a great job hosting. I particularly liked how you started, uh, which was just jumping right in and asking Todd about current events. 
Of course, the big current event being the, uh, well, I guess two, with the uh, Democrats winning in Georgia, uh, the Senate race is there. And then, of course, the uh, the disruption um, at the Capitol. I thought Todd's response to your question, it was really interesting. I'd love to play it right now and we can get uh, we can have the feedback on that. Yeah, let's do there's a lot of attention clearly in the headlines over the next week or so with uncert political uncertainty is going to remain elevated. There's still incredible polarization uh, on both sides of the political aisle with Democrats threatening to file articles of impeachment, uh, st uh, stories of violence, uh, potentially violent uh, protests in, on, in all 50 state capitals and Washington, D.C. So this is creating a, a significant amount of uncertainty. But I think markets, financial markets, have appropriately looked past that uncertainty and are looking to the next two years, a period where Democrats will have control of Congress and the White House and, are, and have much greater odds now of advancing the Democratic policy platform. And what that means in practice in, uh, in the first quarter, for example, is an expected uh, additional round of U.S. fiscal stimulus that's on top of the $900 billion stimulus that was signed into law in December last year. So that this is quite a bit of fiscal stimulus that's likely to be flowing through the pipeline. Uh, in addition, we could see infrastructure programs and spending uh, put through Congress towards the end of next year, offset by revenue measures such as tax hikes on higher income Americans uh, and corporate income tax. Um, the focus, of course, in financial markets has really focused on that stimulus and the, the potential for a vaccine-driven cyclical rebound towards the end of next year as vaccines roll out. Um, we'll talk more a little bit about those factors in a moment. And then the last, sticking to the, the, the impact of these developments from last week, the longer run, sort of the impact after the next two years, is really more about the U.S. brand. The, the U.S. is seen as, a, as the leader of the free world since uh, at least World War II. It's been the important leader of the Western democracies. When I sat in Washington, D.C. for 10 years at the IMF, uh, the U.S. was the unquestioned leader. Um, really spreading democracy, representing democracy, building institutions in fragile states and developing countries. I think that uh, moral authority to lead the democracies has taken a serious hit. Um, and that, as, as some people call it, that soft power has, has definitely, definitely weakened. And the unfortunate consequence of that is maybe a less certain rules of the game for global trade, finance, and security in the long run as we get into less of a U.S. multilateral world sort of collectively dealing with common problems to more of a multipolar world. Um, so that's one of the more unfortunate longer-term implications of what we've seen. One thing that never ceases to amaze me is capital markets and how quickly and accurately they react. Um, you know, we, we talk about the Senate race in Georgia. Polls had that too close to call for many months. Um, and, and then you have the events on the Capitol. These are big events in sort of a political way, in a social way. Uh, you have, you know, de uh, demonstrators getting into the Capitol building, yet markets, you know, they don't care. They're, they're focused on what's, what's important. Um, and, and when you stop and think about it and you reflect, like, what would the rioters invading the Capitol have to do with U.S. corporations and, and how profitable and, and how they are, they conduct their business. So I, I took that away uh, from 
from Todd's comments there. I, 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 your points are, are, are spot on. What's interesting to me, uh, you know, both being part of that call, listening to, to Todd and Dustin, we, we've done this five or six times over the right. course of the last year. And a lot of what's going on is happening really in real time. You know, markets reacting to actual events. When we were planning these calls, uh, we didn't know what was going to happen with the Georgia Georgia runoff. And in fact, a lot of us were assuming the Republicans would take that. Um, there was certainly the insurrection had not occurred, and we didn't know it was coming. Um, and now, as we talked today, they're talking about you know impeachment and Congress and uh, and and so much else. There's so many things that are going on um, all at one time. And it is interesting to see the reaction of both Todd and Dustin, patient, capable, analytical, looking at the numbers, and uh, and really trying to assess the long run implications. And it's so challenging, I would say, for retail investors and advisors to get a grip on all the moving parts in what's going on. But I think what Todd and Dustin did a great job of reframing what's important, what are our eyes on, and how do we kind of build out our, our expectations in the long run. Just to emphasize that, I mean, you talk about the the insurrection in the capital and, and you know, I think that the immediate reaction is you got to sell. There's, there's risk things happening. And Todd's reaction, we're worried about the soft power weakening. We're worried about a decade out looking at trade deals and what that's going to mean for the, the global economy. It's just, uh, just such a great long-term perspective that's embedded in his DNA uh, that comes with time and time You're exactly right. It reminds me a lot of the call we did in March. If you remember, March 23rd was the market bottom, the onset of, uh, of, of the COVID pandemic, the lockdown of economies, the dramatic impact. Um, the knee-jerk impact then, like the one you just mentioned around the insurrection, would be to sell. Oh, markets are going to hate this. I better sure. get out. It's going to devastate. Well, Todd was, again, dispassionately analytical about his his thoughts and he they really broke them down into three ways he said this is a healthcare crisis and there'll need to be a healthcare response there's a government response both fiscal and monetary and then there's the real world economic implications some of which are temporary some of which are permanent let's have a look at all of it and and that's the way we we broke down the analysis and it was wise counsel to stick to your long-term asset allocation mix and uh, and not make short-term tactical moves in a long-term investment strategy. Right. All that said, and, and the focus that they have on uh, on the longer term, they obviously have opinions on 2021 as well. Uh, and uh, and you ask them about the, the 2021 outlook. Uh, and when you ask Todd, uh, we'll, we'll play a clip with what, uh, what his response was. It still doesn't, leaves room for, a, I would call it a bright spot towards the end of 2021. As we see the rollout of vaccines, uh, to, you know, in the second part of the year, we anticipate a, a much sharper cyclical rebound in the global economy, including here at home in Canada and the U.S. And there's really three themes that are going to drive that. One, the vaccines will remove much of the pandemic-related restrictions and uncertainty. Two, we have enormous stimulus. Central banks globally are expected to add, uh, by some estimates, up to $6 trillion in additional asset purchases. Uh, in, in the major economies, uh, providing ample liquidity to markets. We have uh, the fiscal stimulus that Dustin will talk more about in a moment, uh, but that is additional uh, stimulus in the pipeline, adding to the cyclical rebound towards the end of 2021. 
Uh, and finally, because of the restrictions, we've seen an absolute surge in savings uh, by households and businesses alike, which by some estimates have led to $1.6 trillion in so-called excess cash balances in the, in the banking system in the U.S., providing ample firepower to, to finance uh, a spending spree once, once we have mass vaccinations and all that uh, pent-up demand can be unleashed. Now, our view is that that will be still a rather subdued, a strong cyclical rebound, but still subdued given the, the size of the numbers, largely because the most hard-hit sectors, the ones that are going to rebound the hardest, are things like hospitality, personal services, and travel. And if you couldn't travel in 2020, you're unlikely to take two or three trips in the second half of 2021. Similar with personal services. If you, because of restrictions, couldn't get your hair cut, you're unlikely to get it cut two or three times in the second half of 2021. So, because of that, we're, we're very likely to expect a sharp cyclical rebound, but that all that firepower I mentioned from coming from stimulus and, and the excess cash balances that people have saved up, we're not likely to see sort of a roaring 20s spending spree in the second half of the year. What sticks out most uh, to me about that clip is it seems like Todd has challenged me to try to take two or three vacations in the back half of 2021. <laughs> and I feel like I might be up for the challenge, Mike. Well, you're not alone. I think everybody is dying to go somewhere. I'm not sure where your destination of choice is, but it's anywhere but wherever you locked right now. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> locked in my home like you are. So uh, yeah, we're all looking forward to getting away. Yeah, exactly. But his points, it, but his points were well taken. Like it, that's him yeah. again. It's about the vaccine and the medical solution and the onset of vaccinations across the country and around the world. The the onset of uh, continued stimulus to offset the economic impacts that are all too real in right. the businesses and the people around us. And then the fact that we can't spend to the same degree in many cases as we have has helped us skate the balance sheet back on side. And that's a great thing because I think much of the conversation prior to the pandemic was around the, the stretched nature of the household balance sheet, particularly in Canada. Um, I think that had skated itself somewhat back on side after the great financial crisis in the US but still very high. So this, uh, this forced saving, I think, is going um, to bode well for future spending. That $1.6 trillion in savings is jaw-dropping. It's just such a big number. Um, I was, uh, I was very, in, uh, that was very impressive that there's that much dry powder, so to say. And, you know, that, that, that money can work its way not only into the real economy, but obviously different savings vehicles. It can work into the stock market. It can work uh, in, in all sorts of different ways. Um, so uh, very interesting. It, it's funny that we have stimulus that's uh, providing more and more liquidity uh, for populace, as well as this, uh, this large savings. Um, so, you know, I, I think Todd seemed fairly uh, constructive, I'll say, on, uh, on the 2021, particularly in the back half um, and, uh, and largely due to those facts. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the the surprising thing, I, I remember setting up that question, um, around the surprising results from 2020. When you, right. when you look back, uh, and analyze the year that was, it was a, it was one that everybody was pretty glad to put behind them. Um, but from an overall market perspective, we saw some surprisingly strong returns, you know, in information technology and some of the, the areas that were really focused on as a result of the, of the pandemic. But markets generally um, had a pretty decent year, right? Far from the crisis we feared, 
And uh, Todd was pretty clear to say, listen, we're, we're going to see the worst economic recession we've seen since the Great Depression. Yet in spite of all of that, uh, the markets put up, uh, seem to look beyond it and through it to what was happening in the future. Right. Uh, very impressive. What was also interesting is following this segment, Todd started going through his 10-year expected return um, for different asset classes. And, you know, that wasn't quite as rosy. Uh, this is this is taking into account uh, where current interest rates are, where stock market valuations are, uh, and really taking a look across the globe at where expected 10-year returns are. And, you know, the conclusion is lower for uh, lower than we've currently uh, expected or that we, what we've recently experienced uh, and largely due to interest rates. Well, yeah, this is a great this is a great lesson, I believe, for retail investors in uh, in many regards, because the tendency oftentimes would be to think that, you know, returns are going to come from the same asset classes and stocks and categories where we've just seen performance. I better buy Amazon. I'm going to you know load up on Peloton. I'm going to buy all those things that were in Zoom that were dramatically impacted. Well, price does matter. And the price you pay for the stocks you buy is the number one determinant of your long-term rate of return. And so Todd's ability to analyze the valuation levels and where opportunities reside rolling forward, I think is, is great counsel. Absolutely. Um, it is, uh, it's one of the um, publications that we put out on an annual basis. We call it our orange book. Uh, where Todd has his views uh, that, that are put on paper. Uh, and I, I find it invaluable. I mean, anyone who's saving for something has to go through the tricky task of putting in your projected rate of return. Uh, well, Todd's, Todd's uh, projections, I can guarantee you, are going to be a lot more accurate than mine uh, and a lot more uh, substance uh, behind it. So uh, I, I always look forward to that publication. You'll see when it does come out that, uh, you know, Higher, higher returning uh, economies, things like China, emerging markets, they're expecting uh, to be higher than, than uh, North American equities. But in general, it's pretty meager uh, to, find, uh, to find different levels of return. Absolutely. Uh, I'll remind advisors on the line that that same Orange Book summary is done in a, uh, we've got a 2021 global market outlook that's produced by Todd um, and on the, available on the web. So it summarizes a lot of those thoughts and is a great way to encapsulate his thinking and forecasts into 2021. Great. Uh, he also includes fixed income in that, uh, in that orange book. And as you know, interest rates being so low, no surprise, they're expecting very, very modest returns from uh, particularly sovereign fixed income. Um, but what we can do is we can actually, uh, your, your next guest in this call was Dustin Reed and Dustin is our lead, uh, fixed income strategist. Uh, so let's hear, uh, what Dustin has to say about fixed income markets and, and the outlook in general. 2021, you know, I, and some of you will have heard me say this before. Um, but you know, we have a, a very, uh, standard framework in terms of how to look at markets in this particular case, I would say macro fixed income. Uh, and then you get kind of these other, uh, other events that need to, uh, you need to overlay it as Mike, as Mike described for 2020. So, you know, broadly speaking, our framework for looking at markets, and it's a little more, a little more intricate than it looks on one slide, but you know, <clears throat> the federal reserve is obviously a key driver, <clears throat> the dollar, the U S dollar in this particular case, uh, oil markets, 
uh, China and then Canada, so Bank of Canada or, or Canada Macro. <clears throat> you know, we strongly feel that if you have, um, you know, these five themes at least correct or at least close to correct, that you're going to be uh, directionally right in terms of how markets are trading. Um, and then, you know, other major themes kind of come in in various, in various places. Uh, and some of those themes, I think this year are going to continue to be the COVID story, no surprise. And what I think is interesting, even though we'll spend a, a fair bit of time talking about the Fed in this presentation, uh, I also think that um, the fiscal story is going to be a bigger driver in 21, even more so than in 20, particularly the U.S. fiscal story. And we'll get into that a little bit more, um, you know, as as we uh, talk here over the next 15 minutes or so. But broadly speaking, let me leave the Federal Reserve kind of commentary and, and the dollar commentary maybe for uh, a little later in the presentation um, with some more specifics. But, you know, we've seen on the, on the oil side, just very quickly, we've seen the Saudis kind of come back to where they were three years ago, four, you know, three-ish years ago, you know, <clears throat> balancing the market at all costs with a million barrel per day, uh, you know, unilateral uh, cut to try and uh, put a floor under under oil prices. Um, and I think that's going to be very much a theme going forward. Obviously, the, the demand story and structure for 21 in terms of oil and global demand um, you know, is, is also a very big part of that. But the Saudis are clearly re-enter, have re-entered the market in terms of uh, looking to be, you know, the, the, the balancing uh, actor. Uh, China, we, we're very constructive on China. We hold uh, a fair bit of uh, Chinese government bonds um, in local currency and unhedged in our uh, fixed income portfolios, not only our global portfolios, but also our um, our unconstrained portfolios and even some of our core portfolios, although on a smaller percentage basis, we like some of the yields that uh, China continues to uh, provide. China's continuing to uh, lead from an economic rebound perspective globally, or at least very close to the top. And that's been very good for EM markets. And obviously, the Canada story is very important for all of us, uh, particularly, you know, as I sit in this chair for, you know, for fixed income uh, macro, um, you know, as Todd was saying, uh, you know, could see a little bit a slow start out of the gate here uh, in 21. But um, you know, the bank the bank has has made significant and made significant moves last year. Bank of Canada, um, and actually, I would say leapfrog the Fed in terms of getting in certain in terms of tweaking, uh, adjusting its um, quantitative easing program back at the uh, policy meeting in October, the NPR in October. Um, extending its weighted average maturity um, or the duration of its purchases for the QE program, and also at the same time reducing, that's correct, reducing their uh, weekly purchase amount from $5 billion a week to $4 billion a week. Um, so those are going to be key themes, but obviously the COVID theme remains significant. One thing, uh, when I'm listening to that, uh, it's, his, it's his intro, it's his start. Uh, you know, you think of fixed income investing, you think bonds are relatively boring, they're straightforward. And he says, well, in order to start, you have to get five things right. In order to start, <laughs> you have to get oil, Fed, Bank of Canada, China, uh, and, uh, and the U.S. dollar. Like, that's just to start. Uh, such, such complexity within, within that market that's uh, sometimes hidden beneath the surface. You're absolutely right. And uh, the, the words of Steve Locke, our, our, our CIO of fixed income and uh, head of the fixed income team at McKenzie, um, always reminded us of the asymmetric risk in fixed income. 
He said, listen, if you get it right, good for you. You get your money back and your rate of return over that uh, period of time, the, the, you know, the, the, the term of your bond. You get it wrong and the risk is all to the downside. So right. these guys are first and foremost credit analysts and really want to do the credit work well and ensure that they're taking as little risk as possible. And it's so challenging in, uh, in an environment like this with interest rates so low, um, which, by the way, corresponds to historic highs in valuations for fixed income, right? Sure. Interest rates yeah. down, bond, bond prices up. And uh, here we sit at the, at, at the, at the peak, you would think. Um, with rates at uh, at rock bottom, but we've been we we've said that before, and yeah, and think <laughs> true. Uh, certainly, certainly, I think uh, I think Dustin and, and the team think that we're near a peak at least. Um, thought his comments on oil were pretty interesting about Saudis coming back to the market, supporting the oil price through through cuts. Um, you know, that has implications, obviously, to fixed income, but I'm thinking of just uh, the, the people in Alberta, the people in our oil and gas sector. Um, that's got to be a bit of a welcome news to, um, to have some market support from, from the Saudis. Well, look at the energy markets were certainly one of the most interesting stories of 2020. Um, devastated early, like the right. maximum drawdown of energy at one point was off 62%. We actually had uh, oil prices trading in a negative range because of an odd dynamic with storage and and delivery yeah. dynamics, um, and then a, a, a big rebound in elements. I know that from the uh, from the lows, they were up over sixty five percent for the calendar year for energy. So well, and then you've got the so you've got the also the idea that the world is beginning to shift their demand for energy consumption in a lot of different ways. So electric vehicles and, you know, conventional fossil fuel demand will continue to diminish over time, but that's not going to happen tomorrow, right? So understanding how these, the, the energy dynamics play into the overall economy is incredibly interesting. Yeah. You referenced China there as well, being bullish on China. And then uh, following this segment, he actually goes on and talks about uh, the Fed and what the Fed is likely to do over the next uh, sort of shorter term horizon. You know, they're not expecting interest rates uh, to rise for at least the next 24 months out of the U.S. So ultra low interest rates for at least the next 24 months. And they're still expecting uh quantitative easing purchases of $120 billion per month. Um, mm -hmm. so, so still very supportive uh, from the Fed uh, for the economy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, fiscal and monetary support are critical to, uh, to this market. Absolutely. Um, one thing that he did talk about just following that is, is what opportunities he's specifically seen in 2021. So he's sort of laid out what they have to get right in order to make sure that they're, they're, uh, they're going to participate. But maybe we can play the clip on what they are specifically looking for. Yeah. yeah we see a lot of opportunities both in the credit space, um, which isn't my my day to day, so to speak, uh, and, and the EMs and the EM space. You know, obviously, we have a very strong credit team, um, both from a PM and analyst perspective, and uh, are constantly pouring over names uh, in the investment grade, the high yield, and the loan space. Um, you know, to, to eke out you know, to eke out those gains and those spreads. And I think I think the team does a great job um, from an EM space where I, I can speak a little bit more more. Uh, uh, knowledgeably, um, there's lots of opportunities in the EM space, and I think as you've seen that that last 
chart the, with the you know, yields going negative globally, you've seen people kind of move further and further out the curve, not necessarily like a yield curve, but um, you know the risk curve where, okay, I'll take a little more appetite on the EM side. Maybe that's local currency, maybe it's hard currency, but you've definitely seen a lot of interest in EM and you can see it kind of in, not, not only in the, in the, in the, on the fixed income side, but also in, uh, you know, flows into, um, again, EM equities as well. You know, I think anything with real yields that are, that are strong, um, in the EM space are, you know, are very, very interesting. Uh, I mentioned China before I'll mention it again, uh, China continues to yield on a, on a real basis versus uh, North American and, and definitely European and, and, uh, Japanese, um, equivalents and other Asian and other Asian equivalents. Um, and, and we like, and we like that story. We think the currency is relatively stable. We think the, uh, um, the markets become a lot more liquid over the last, I would say 18 to 24 months. Um, we hold a sizable position in, in Chinese government bonds, uh, within our global portfolio. We, we do like it. And as I said, we, we do hold some of that in, in some of our other, in some of our other fixed income portfolios, uh, additionally, but other high yielders like Mexico, a little bit more currency risk, I would say associated with that. We generally, not always, but generally when we buy foreign, um, uh, local currency, foreign, uh, bonds, we generally leave the currency open. Uh, so we do have, we do have the currency risk, but that's done purposely to try and, you know, maximize gains and efficiency. Uh, so those are a couple that we like. So yeah, there, there again, we hear this idea of diversification, this idea of getting away from North America, but in this case, fixed income, uh, but China, very bullish on China, very bullish on some emerging markets. Um, where you can actually pick up some reasonable yields for what they think is reasonable levels of risk. Uh, it's certainly been a bit of a theme between uh, both Todd's comments and Dustin's comments about uh, the rise of China, the rise of emerging markets, and in, in that they're uh, warranting an allocation. Well, and the and the search for real yields, as you mentioned, it's it's yeah. incredibly challenging. And the the key takeaway from you know my mind on uh, on his comments related to the fact that. You need a broader set of tools as a fixed income investor to really be successful in this market, um, and success being you know maintaining your capital, growing it meaningfully over time um, with reasonable risk. They've done a lot of work, as he mentioned, on the credit side. Uh, so now, kind of a core plus approach to fixed income would involve corporate bonds and uh, and loans, and now increasingly looking into emerging market debt and so forth. So that the complexity of the solutions we build in fixed income in order to derive a, a you know a meaningful rate of return and a result that's that's positive for investors is uh, is far more involved. And that that is a insight that uh, Steve Locke had when he joined McKenzie back in two thousand and nine. It was really given the ability to build his team the way that he saw fit. And the way that he's thought to do that was you get all of these experts, you get the credit experts, you get the Dustin looking at it from the macro point of view, Constantine, who's, who has a quantitative background, global background, and you make sure that everybody has their own expertise, but everybody's talking. It's a small enough team that they can collaborate. They can make those trade-offs uh, in what is uh, for sure a more complex uh, fixed income market uh, than it was uh, before uh, 2009, for sure, and, and uh, more going forward, perhaps even more complex. Yeah, you're right. And with 60 billion now under management in our fixed income team, um, you know they clearly needed to build out the team to provide the tools and the capability to deliver a more sophisticated, robust cross section 
of fixed income mandates. And they, they've done exactly that. And then blending them together in, uh, in, in many of our offerings. Excellent. Uh, one thing that we haven't really f- uh, focused on yet are the risks that uh, both Todd and Dustin see. Uh, I thought we'd deal with it all at once. Um, and really, um, so far, we've heard from them about opportunities. We've heard that both of them seem like they're pretty constructive on 2021 and, and what markets are going to be able uh, to return. Uh, but there was recurring risks that came up through your conversation. I'll, I'll highlight a few of them. Um, and that is, uh, you know, stimulus, the size of the fiscal stimulus in the U.S. is uncertain. Will Biden be going bipartisan, which means it's going to be a little bit smaller? Uh, will he be going, uh, you know, larger uh, stimulus package? Vaccine delays. We've, we've been a bit slow to the punch on the vaccine. Is that going to continue? How much will that impact in 2021? Uh, and then the big risk that kept coming up over and over again, Mike, was inflation. You asked them both directly about inflation. You know, what, what are your thoughts on on their answers? Maybe summarize their answers uh, and, and give us your thoughts. Well, in, in inflation is is exactly the one that everybody's worried about. With all this stimulus coming in, uh, those who have enjoyed the returns in equities are wondering: Does this last? Will it stay, or is this a bubble? And uh, where do I put new money? And then on the fixed income side, inflation is your number one fear, right? Your returns can be eroded away long run by inflation. So will all of this money sloshing around in the system eventually uh, lead to a skyrocket in inflation? And um, that, that was the big question. I think their answers were pretty clear. They, they don't see it. it. It's not appearing in the numbers um, in, uh, in what Todd has talked about. He's talked about the lack of... Uh, a velocity on money that a lot of the, the the capital that's being generated is locked into the banking system. It's not necessarily translating into uh, inflationary numbers yet. And the Fed in the U.S. has specifically mandated a goal to create inflation. They uh, yes. and they've they've committed to wanting to to run the economy as they say hot for a period of time. So uh, you know they they've not been able to do it yet. Um, but uh, certainly, we think long run, it's it's, it's got to have a an influence. But let's uh, let's find out what they had to say specifically about it. So, if we were to see some scenario in which uh, interest rates were to increase very abruptly, that could have very substantial and negative impacts on on corporate default rates and corporate debt. I don't see that as a base case. That's definitely what I would call a tail risk scenario, very unlikely, but it's the kind of event that could lead to that kind of spike in volatility that you were mentioning, that you were asking about. Um, So what can you do? I mean, um, you know, I still stick to some of our long for, you know, our key principles or, or, um, I guess, best practices for long horizon investors. You know, selling stocks back in March 2020 because of the volatility would have been just a disaster by year end uh, after the very sharp recovery and rebound. Uh, We saw that again uh, back in the global financial crisis. Selling and not getting back fully invested would have been very costly. So, you know, being staying fully invested, rebalancing to your target asset mix over time, uh, riding the storm uh, and keeping your eye on that long term horizon is really the probably the best one of the best things you can do. 
Another important one is to stay diversified. And this is a message that I think is also important. Where the next shock occurs, whether it's in the Eurozone, in the US, or some other market, being geographically diversified, diversified across asset classes, and I think importantly, and often overlooked, being diversified across your foreign currency exposures can provide some protection. So, you know, important, if we do see a spike in volatility for some reason, remember that policymakers are providing very, very substantial stimulus. Central banks have shown that they are very active in terms of trying to dampen volatility and step in and deal with these kinds of dislocations in the real economy when these things happen. And we have um, fiscal policymakers, uh, especially now in the U.S. with the Democratic government, that uh, look more responsive uh, to developments in the business cycle than we had with a divided government. Um, so I think that's the best thing you can do as a long horizon investor. And just to tie those, uh, the inflation with the hike in interest rates for, for listeners, um, central banks really main way of combating inflation is increasing interest rates. And Todd was referring to all of the debt out there, uh, all of the corporate debt, the sovereign debt. Well, if we start raising interest rates, that debt becomes more expensive for people to service. Uh, there's your tail risk that he's talking about. But again, one thing that, that Todd's great at, here's a, here's a guy, he's worked for the IMF. He has a PhD in economics. He's worked for some of the main pension plans. He's dedicated his life to this craft. And what does he come back with? Every time, long-term investment, diversification. It's so important. It's just so critical. It cannot be overstated. Well, it makes me think of his time too at, at CPP. You know, it, it managing your and my future incomes, right? It's an ongoing concern that takes a long-term view. And his, his counsel of, of thinking long-term, staying diversified, and then a point that he made at some point during the call around using market volatility as an opportunity perhaps to rebalance, but avoid the tendency to want to make big tactical market timing bets. I don't think you need to do that. Um, so his, uh, you know, he's responsive, they're analytical, they understand value, they forecast rates of returns in various categories, and then they execute the, uh, the, the mission statement of carrying out their, their purchases. So, uh, I, I think his, his is a refreshing reminder of, uh, of the value of long-term analytical thinking. You know, that's my key takeaway from the the entire call is uh, diversification is important. Long-term thinking is important. Um, you know, a risk that's often under thought of or underappreciated isn't the market going down necessarily. It's your human action. And, and you are not giving yourself the opportunity to compound and participate in markets because you've made a, a reaction to sell because of COVID or sell because of uh, the the mess in Washington or whatever the case is. So that to me is a key takeaway. Um, and, and that diversification more and more, you need to start looking uh, to emerging markets uh, like China, like other places uh, that seeing better growth uh, in order to ensure appropriate diversification. What's your key takeaway, Mike? I would say, you know, the, the, the market itself, is, is an amazing reflector of human ingenuity and our ability to respond to different circumstances. And we find our way through. Where we are today, um, from last year's perspective, would be unthinkable. The fact that we've, you know, we're coming up on a year not being in the office, that the economies have been locked down and that massive stimulus has been applied and interest rates have gone to you know, almost nothing. 
yet life goes on. Solutions are found, vaccines are developed and now being delivered. And tomorrow's solutions will find their way into a completely new set of opportunities for investors. So uh, one of the, the most interesting things about finance and capital markets is that it's a, it's a whole new combination of, uh, of variables at any given point in time. And it's fascinating to watch it unfold and fascinating to be here at this point in time to watch it all happen. Great. Well, thanks so much, Mike, for, for coming on the podcast and, and your excellent work hosting uh, the, the call. Uh, hope to have you back soon and we can, we can continue the conversations. It was a lot of fun for me. I agree. I uh, enjoyed the opportunity to sort of rehash a, a conversation with two of our best and brightest. And I know as part of the McKenzie Exchange series, the Outlook and Insight series, we're doing this on a weekly basis. So hopefully you and I will get an opportunity to reconvene and talk about the comments of some of our, our PMs. Let's plan on it. Thanks, Mike. Perfect. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.